Hello and welcome. Hi. Good, good evening, lovely people. My name's Cam. I work here in the green space. Um, so how many of you have been here before? So a few. And do we have any members here as well? OK. Well, come back. Oh, yes. Hey, there you are. Sorry, I got the light right over me. Yeah, no, but I see the pink, and I appreciate the pink. Um, thank you so much for coming. So we are member supported, and we really thank you for your support. Uh, we're also supported by the Jerome L. Green Foundation. So while I'm here, I have to say, please do silence your cell phones. I'll give you a moment to do that. <laughs> I'm watching. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is the Work It Festival. I'm going to bring out uh, WNYC's Melissa LaCase, who's going to share a few more words about what that festival is doing, and as, uh, likewise, the New Fest uh, partner that we have for this special event. So without further ado, Melissa LaCase. Hi, everyone. Good evening to you all. Thank you for coming, and welcome to a live taping of This Movie Changed Me. This is presented in partnership with New Fest, New York's LGBT film and media arts organization, as part of Work It, WNYC Studios' annual gathering of women shaping the future of podcasting. I'm Melissa LaCase. I'm with live events at WNYC. A few words about Work It. By day, Work It is a place for women podcasters, aspiring and established alike, to attend workshops, learn new skills, and build a professional network. By night, we invite listeners like you to come face to face with female podcasters to experience a live taping and have some fun. Now in its fourth year, Work It was created by Laura Walker, president and CEO of New York Public Radio, to elevate the voices of women behind the microphone, in the production booth, and out in the world. We are honored to partner with NewFest to present this live taping of This Movie Changed Me. NewFest gives voice and visibility to the full spectrum of the LGBTQ experience by championing films, supporting storytellers, and engaging audiences in order to inspire dialogue, shift cultural bias, and empower our diverse communities. It's my privilege to introduce Lily Percy. Lily is the executive producer of On Being Studios and host of This Movie Changed Me. In a previous life, Lily worked as an associate editor of Movie Maker Magazine, as well as a producer for StoryCorps and NPR's All Things Considered on the weekends. She also produced the NPR series Movies I've Seen a Million Times, interviewing guests including Queen Latifah, Jesse Eisenberg, Saoirse Ronan, Common, Whoopi Goldberg, and others. Her work has also been featured on NPR's Latino USA, WNYC's Soundcheck, and Esquire. This Movie Changed Me offers an unexpected take on pop culture, transporting listeners inside the world of movies by celebrating our intimate relationship with them. Past guests have included NPR's David Green on Star Wars, writer Ashley Seaford on The Nightmare Before Christmas, and Dear Sugar's Stephen Almond on Ordinary People, among others. It's not a movie review podcast. It's a conversation with one fan talking about the transformative power of one movie. Tonight, that fan is Justin Sayre. The movie, Auntie Mame. Woo! <laughs> Justin is a writer and performer who Michael Musto called Oscar Wilde meets Whoopi Goldberg. Mm. Sayre has been a fixture of the downtown cabaret scene in New York, first with their long-running monthly show, 
the meeting of the International Order of Sodomites, <laughs> and now a Ravenswood, and now with Ravenswood Manor, a new show at Joe's Pub. Sarah is a playwright and has written a series of YA novels, Husky and Pretty, with the third series, with the third in the series, Mean, released later this year by Penguin Books. Sarah is the host of the podcast, Sparkle and Circulate. We welcome mm. you to This Movie Changed Me. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh my God. Thank you. Now the fun begins. I know. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, to, for coming today. I know that it is a, always a schlep and a truck to come to anything in New York City, so I really appreciate it. Um, and I also just want to thank Melissa and Alicia and everyone at WNYC Studios, uh, Cam, who's been our amazing uh, point person here. And I also want to thank um, Newfest, Radica and, and Nick, who've been helping us here in partnership. Um, and lastly, I want to thank Maya Terrell, who is the lead producer for This Movie Changed Me. And I was trying not to cry. Um, but, you know, you just, you make my movie Love and Dreams Come True. So I just <laughs> want to thank you for that. Um, and I want to thank you. Oh, thank I know. You. For being here to talk with me about Auntie Mame, which I'm so excited So for. excited about it. <laughs> so Usually this would just happen in my apartment by myself. <laughs> So I'm very excited that I get to talk to other people about that. And the dogs that you have, the porcelain dogs. Oh, yeah, dog figurines named after the Bronte sisters. It's a dark place. (laughs) Charlotte's a corgi. Uh, I love it. Um, So I'm a big believer that when you find the thing that best helps you understand the world, you embrace it. And movies are that for me. And they help me process big questions and discover new things about myself and those around me. And most importantly, movies make me feel less alone. And that's one of the reasons I was, I was so excited to talk to you about Auntie May because that's what I feel like that movie does oh, so sure. well. Um, I, I want to kind of give a little bit of brief, brief synopsis about the movie. And please chime in if I'm missing anything really important. Okay. <laughs> I can um, tell you the outfits. <laughs> she okay. does that and this outfit. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, so what I love about this movie and this character is that it's so singular in modeling a way of being. Yes. And uh, it's bold and confident and it's affirming of all of our differences. Absolutely. Um, and it tells a story of Mame, a wealthy bohemian New York socialite played yes. by Rosalind Russell. Rosalind Russell. Um, and she adopts her conservative brother's son, Patrick. Yes. Her He's, brother dies, has mm-hmm. a heart attack. Yep. And Patrick has never seen the world of BAME. Yes. Right? So she introduces him to art and passion and freedom in every sense of the word. Yes, she does. And he, make, he learns how to make a mean martini. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an important life skill. Absolutely. Uh, listen, <laughs> if I knew that you could treat children like that, I might have children. I agree. I agree. Because I think that's, wouldn't you want some, somebody that, I've been making whiskey sour since I'm nine years old. Yeah, yeah, sign me up, little Patrick. Um, so the movie is really countercultural because it Absolutely. came out in 1958, which you wouldn't expect a movie from 1958 to no. have a kid making martinis. No. Um, but you Even also, though kids made martinis in 1958. They just didn't talk about it. Yeah, we just didn't talk about it. I also think it's so remarkable because I don't even think I've seen a character like her in today, in 2018. No. Um, you know, she, she's just so unique and so strong in every way. And, you know, her brilliance was not always appreciated or understood, especially in this movie, by those people around her. 
Yeah. And even at a certain point, her own son, Patrick. Sure. So I'd love for us to watch two clips that we've picked to kind of exemplify the movie. You don't know what these clips are. So I don't. Be... But I, I will the minute you put them up. <laughs> You're going to have to enact them here in oh. front of us. Um, and I'd love for everyone who just hasn't seen the movie to keep these clips in mind as we're talking about the conversation about anti-mame. Thus man himself is fire, dust, and air, <laughs> mingled with water. Acacia's darling, this is my little nephew, Patrick. This is Mr. Page, dear. Notice or tone. That means know thyself. Mr. Page is a great educator, and he runs a school down in the village where they do all sorts of advanced things. Oh, Acacia's, do you think you might find room for Patrick? For him, yes. Ah. In this boy, I see already the fire, dust, and air. Well, we'll just add water and stir. Well, do you think you might want to go there, darling? Do they wear uniforms in your school? Uh, my school, young man. We wear nothing. Oh, it's heaven. It'll stimulate his psyche and stir up his libido. What's libido, Auntie? Oh, it's perfectly simple, darling. Libido is a... Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Every time you hear a word you don't understand, dear, you take this pad and pencil and write it down. Later on, Auntie Mame will explain it to you. <laughs> Annie Mame, listen to me. I've met a girl. I've been going with her for several months. Oh? She's, well, she's a very special girl, and... I guess I should have told you about her before. I would have, but I knew you were all tied up with a book, and... everything. And until now, it wasn't really definite. What's definite now? Lori is the girl. That's what's definite. And you're going to meet her. Tonight. Well, now, I hope you didn't leave her sitting in the car. No, I dropped off at a girlfriend's house. Bunny Bixer's on Park Avenue. She wanted to get all spruced up before she met you. Well, I'd better do some sprucing up of my own. I'll bring Lori back in 10 or 15 minutes, okay? I'll have my face all organized. Babe, uh, what did you do with me? Evening slippers. Oh. Oh, it's all right. I found them. Wait a minute. If he's still in the house... I'm not going to bring Gloria back here. May I inquire why? Gloria's a very sensitive and a, a well-brought-up girl. I don't want you flaunting your new flames and old picadillos in front of her. Then why bring her here at all? Want to know the truth? I've been trying to avoid it. She wanted to meet you. So you just dropped by to see that I was all uh, scrubbed up, uh, presentable for inspection, is that it? Yes. And to tell you that while I've got my girl here tonight, for five minutes to try to act like a normal human being. Glory's from a very conservative family, good stock, and she doesn't have to know about a lot of things that ordinary mortals simply don't have to know about. Should she know that I think you've turned into one of the most beastly, bourgeois, babbity little snobs on the eastern seaboard? Or will you be able to make that quite clear without any help from me? Well, it's been nice knowing you. Patrick. Oh, darling, oh, I love you so. 
I'd do anything for you. But I joined the DAR. I denounced Calvin Coolidge as a Bolshevik. Oh, Annie Mae, uh, Gloria'd better like you, or I'll, I'll bellow one square in the chops. I'll out of here in no time and have the whole place fumigated. I promise, darling. I promise. Thanks, Annie Mae. Applause for Annie Mame. Yeah. So Don't you wish somebody would just run down the stairs to you like that? <laughs> Every God. time I see Every. stairs, yes. Big open arms. So I'd love to take you back in time for a second. Sure, take me. I'll look so much younger. <laughs> um, I'd love for you to just take a couple of seconds to think about the first time that you saw Auntie Mame and how old you were and <clears throat> where you were and just give us an idea of what that first experience was like. Well, I think, I think with a movie like this, the first thing you are done in by is the color of it. It mm. is so unbelievably colorful. Every, you know, the set changes, there's different themes. She has all these, she has different color hair. I mean, it's just, perf- it's a, a smorgasbord of color for your eyes. Yeah. And I remember seeing it, I think I was, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and I was often at my grandmother's house. Uh, I saw it in her living room on a mm. big console television, if you remember those terrible mm-hmm. things. And uh, <clears throat> I think I was kind of done in by the color at first, but it was also at a time, around that time, and this sounds maybe entirely too kind of precocious, but it was true, um, where I was realizing that there was a whole different life Mm -hmm. besides the one that I was living. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother had a very nice house. She was very chic. She dressed beautifully. But there were no books in the house. There we didn't ever discuss art or anything like that. Mm. And then next door, uh, and I bring this up because uh, she recently died, but next door, uh, Kate Kerrigan, who's a musical theater writer here in New York, mm. her grandmother lived next door to us, and she was an artist. Mm. And I would go and play with Kate and see this house that was filled with books and music and and my mind just kind of exploded. Mm. And I remember being seven or eight years old and saying, that's what I want. Mm. And Mame kind of, you know, in that perfect kind of conflagration of things, hit me in that moment of saying, this is what it is. Yeah. This is kind of, you want to think outside the box. You want to have a life that is not ordinary. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it is excited about not being ordinary. Yeah, it's celebrated. There's enthusiasm, yeah. endless enthusiasm. So I think they kind of really just hit at the same time, hit that same kind of moment for me mm. as a very young child that I was like, okay, we're different. Yeah, let's just be different mm. and be fine about it. And it's ruined me ever since. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's so beautiful because what strikes me in watching the movie now is how bold she is and how much she celebrates how she is different. Sure. Well, and, and, it's, and it is, 
it's something that I go back to all the time because it is profound. Mm. And, and I think it gets a bad rap because it's campy. Mm -hmm. But I think, <clears throat> I, for me as a gay person, as a queer artist, camp is my holy grail. Mm. It's the way that my people have made sense of the world for centuries. Yeah. You know, so it is profound for mm -hmm. me. And, and even though people can kind of toss this away as like a light comedy, mm. what you're really dealing with is a woman that grew up under a very different set of circumstances who turned her in herself into anything she wanted to be. Mm. And in doing that, always kept her eyes on the future and more to see and an ever-expanding view of what humanity was. Yeah. I'm sorry to no. I'm sorry to get upset about it, but I think yeah. that's why this movie affects me so much is because it became kind of a life force of like yeah. that's what we're here to do. Mm -hmm. You want everybody in the circle. Mm -hmm. You want to learn about more people, you want to invite them in, you want to have experiences with them. It's never about it's never about anybody being the only enemy Mm -hmm. is small-mindedness. Yeah. The only enemy is not having the experience. Mm. And I think that has been really profound. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to cry over Andy Mame. <laughs> <laughs> no, I <laughs> But I, I you know, I I, I, also, I just think I think it's also this thing that I I've been thinking about recently about like just how so much of when you know, you said this interesting point about you don't see a lot of you don't see a lot of movies like this. No. Well, this is a movie about a woman inventing herself. Mm-hmm. And, and over and over again. Over and over Which again. you also don't get to see. No. Yeah. And, and in relation to another person, in relation to a young boy, but she's always at the front of that. Yeah. And I think that, I think it doesn't get taken seriously because it's a, it's a quote-unquote woman's picture. Agreed. And yeah. it's a quote-unquote camp picture. Mm -hmm. And, and it, and it, you know, kind of performs itself and is very colorful. But within that, mm -hmm. I think there there are very deep messages, and I think that it is it's a it is systematic of of thing of ways in which women and queer art is often dismissed mm -hmm. because it's oh it's just kind of soft and it's feel good and it's you know there's too much glitter on it and the truth of it is that glitter matters to a lot of people it does it does especially <laughs> glitter Mame. means something to a lot of people <laughs> it's true and i think that i you know i think that's why i get emotional about it because it it does you know growing up in a small town in pennsylvania and seeing something like this mm. And saying, oh, wow, there's a whole other world out there. Mm. And you can be anything. Yeah. And be multiple things. Mm -hmm. Was, it was life-changing. And you're not limited by the way that you're different. No. Which is a beautiful thing. I no. think um, there's this amazing sculptor and artist and, and physicist, this Cuban uh, artist, Enrique Martinez Elaya, who talks about what if we looked not for the ways we're alike but instead look for the strangeness in each other oh, absolutely and i love that idea and when i was watching this movie i thought i really sense her strangeness and and her giving me permission to be strange absolutely and also her 
there is there's a subtle thing in it that there's 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 also this permission to fail. Yes. I mean that yes, first she has, scene. Yeah. She walks in and she said, "Oh, I thought my loom was in here. I guess I gave that up a couple of months ago. <laughs> now I'm sculpting." Exactly. And it's like, no, she's just trying it out. <laughs> trying out uh, hobbies. Trying exactly. out men. <laughs> trying out hair. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but she's trying it out with enthusiasm and and a lust for life. And and why not try it and fail? Mm, yeah. Why not see if you like it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's really deep. I also love her resilience. Oh sure. And it actually reminded me of something that you you said in an interview with Logo. Oh. Um, you were asked to define gay culture because you know of course you yeah. can do that. I get asked that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah, yeah. It's a lot. Of, it's a very Which odd is question. Very, it's a lot of pressure. No kidding. I think you did a great job. Thanks. I'm uh, glad. You you. <laughs> You brilliantly said, gay culture is finding a broken figurine on the street and turning it into a lamp. Queer people are resilient. We find beauty and a sense of fun with what many people throw away. You can trace it throughout our history. I call it gay ingenuity. Gay artists are great at turning our small corners of the world into something grand and fabulous. Which I feel really gets at Auntie Mame. Oh, absolutely. Mame is exactly that. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing, like, (laughs) I go into... (laughs) I love gay people because, not just because they, many of them will have sex with me. Yes. But it's a good reason to love them. It's, an, yes. it's a very, I send them a Christmas card every year. Thank you for a wonderful year of doing it. Um, uh, no, but I, I love them because you will walk into an apartment or in a, to a house and you will see things. You'll be like, wait a minute. You decide. I went into my friend's house one time, and his kitchen was green, and the theme was dolls. (laughs) And you would think that'd be real creepy, and I'm sure with the lights out and after a couple of Mai Tais, it was. But I walked in, I thought, this is brilliant. Oh my God! And and Mame does that over and over, over and again. Over again. My, I'm going to go dragons, you yeah. know, or we're going to have movable furniture, yeah. you know. And it's just, yeah, why not try it? Why not see? Why not delight yourself? Yeah. Rather than, oh well, this this cat, you know, this couch looks nice. Yeah. This seems reasonable. Yeah. You know. You know, and something that also really struck me about her resilience that I didn't really find many people talking about in relation to this movie is that, you know, when the stock market crashes and she sure. loses all her money, yeah. she doesn't first of all, she takes care of the people who work with her, like yes. work in the house. Yes. Um, and then she goes and gets a job, several jobs. I mean she's yeah. bad at them. She's bad at them. But she goes out and finds yes. work. Like oh, she yeah. wasn't gonna wait for someone to save her. No, and someone I mean Someone you know, does. You could say thematically, somebody does. <laughs> yes. But no, she's not. She is not. Because I think it would be easy to write her off as a character if that were the case. Yeah. If she was just kind of some flippant woman with a lot of money who yeah. decorated her. Yeah, it would be easy That's to write her off. That's why I struggled off. even calling her a socialite, because I thought it doesn't do her justice. No, she is kind of, she's a real bohemian. Yeah. In that you are looking at life from a different angle. You are trying to get away from kind of bourgeois modernity mm. and rules, and you are trying to experience people for how they are. Yeah. And I think that's where 
you know, I, I was kind of having a conversation. I was having a conversation with my father. This is a tangent. I love tangents. But I was having a conversation with my father a little bit because I, I live and work in Los Angeles right now. And it wasn't a criticism of Los Angeles, but La- L.A. is a very bourgeois town. Mm. It really is. Mm. And, you, and people make a lot of money, and they are writers, and they do their jobs. And I, I feel very fortunate to have a job you know, writing jokes and, and yeah. doing what I do. I feel very, it's not anything like that. But there is this kind of thing where every, I was at a meeting once, and everybody in the room was married and had children and had mm. done all that. And I, I said to my father on the phone, I said, listen, I didn't get into this business to be you. I wanted to be a beatnik. <laughs> and he was like, that's fair. <laughs> very nice, very cordial man, he, even though I was insulting his entire life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you were Patrick, basically, Patrick, to yes, his exactly. <laughs> but I said, you know, that's what I wanted to be, mm. uh, to have as an artist, that you yeah. could pick up and be something else tomorrow. Yeah. I wanted that self-invention, mm. and I wanted that kind of risk-taking. Yeah. And I think that's what main inspires you to do mm-hmm. in, a, in a strange way. You yeah. know, oh, well, let's try this. Yeah. You know, like even, you know, you talk about the scene where she goes to, she goes to ride a horse, and she's never ridden a horse before, yeah. so Patrick reads her a book on how to ride yeah. a horse. <laughs> She can't put the boots she on. She can't put the boots on. She can't on. figure it out. So no. she's walking. But she goes. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, right, yeah. we're going to ride a horse yeah. now. And I love it because it's because she falls in love with the most seemingly unlikely man. This sure. uh, southerner. Yeah. Um, who Bo. Exactly. Um, who in every stereotype, you, you would think if you were thinking of stereotypes, that yeah. he would be the complete opposite of this bohemian woman. And yet he completely accepts her, not only accepts her, celebrates her. Oh, sure. Well, that, I mean, that again, in this kind of structure of a woman's picture, she's one of the few female heroines, I think, mm. in all of film yeah. who doesn't have to make a compromise to any man in any part of this yeah. movie. Yeah. She doesn't, even to Patrick, even in that scene. He apologizes to her just as much as she, you know. Yes. And she wins in the end. She does. And that's different. Mm. And I think there's a, you know, it's written by Patrick Dennis, who is a gay man. There's, a, there's certainly a gay underpinning to the whole thing. But I think there is that strength in it mm. that you don't have to, you have to, there's a line in a, a song by Mary Gauthier that says, you pray that the people you love will catch up to you. Mm. You don't wait for them. You don't ever kind of put yourself on a back burner until they warm up. You just go, mm. and you hope they catch up. And I think that's what Mame is all about. You, mm. hope, she, you hope they catch up. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, I mean, you've talked a little bit about this already, you know, and, and what she has meant to you as a gay man, but... Um, I'd love to quote you again because you're just sure. such an amazing, amazing <laughs> Ooh, I writer. I said so much good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is for Out uh, Magazine, and you said, you know, you talked a little bit about the journey that it's been for you to come out as a gay man. Yeah. Um, you know, not to others specifically, but you, you said to yourself to come out as a gay man to yourself. And you said, I'm very gay now. I've taken my obviousness to another level. If everyone's going to assume it any, anyway, why not give them a show? Yeah. I wear an assortment of captains. Scarves are always in the rotation, and I never met a brooch I didn't like. I put it out there, and I'm never leaving a room for doubt. I'm out. I break the rules of masculinity because I've always been an outlier there. And only after I came out to myself was I able to see that as my strength. 
Now, people rarely ask me about my sexuality. And when they ask about my gender, I usually quote Fitzgerald and reply, I know myself, but that is all. I just wonder, when you're thinking about your identity, how Auntie Mame, how Mame in particular helped you kind of think about that identity? Um, well, I think, I think Mame as a figure is always in my mind a little bit. Mm. Because... I felt like you were channeling her, by the way. When I first met you, I was like, Mame is here You're with us. You're not the first person to I say know that. I'm not. I know I'm not. <laughs> oh, and you know, and I do think, it's weird because when I go back and watch this movie, I realize that I've picked up more Mameisms without even having seen it. Like, there's a moment where she starts decorating her clothes with just things she finds off tables. I've done that. I've done that. Like household items. I've worn a tablecloth as a cape and people were on the floor. Gag. And I was like, this came off my table. There's a wine stain on my shoulder. Now, um, uh, why I think of Mame, I think it's... Well, I... uh, what I was kind of saying in that interview that you so nicely quoted, um, I never had a moment of being in. Everybody, I, since I was a, a, like an infant practically, everybody was like, oh, wait, <laughs> trouble. You know? <laughs> I never, uh, so I never had, there was no pretense. Mm. There was, a, there was a, a disassociation from myself yeah. because I didn't really understand you know, I didn't have a moment where I thought, oh, I want to be with boys. Boys seemed like little, you know, snot factories to me as a child. I didn't want any part of them. Um, but I think, <clears throat> I think what comes up for me now is, and I think what is, is profoundly affected by something like seeing Mame and living in concert with something like yeah. Mame in your head, is that it is this, it is not not just an exploration of myself, but allowing myself room to explore further. Mm. And in doing so, allowing more people in. Because I think, I think that's the thing, especially now. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I was asked recently about um, diversity. I get asked about diversity quite a bit. Just like, define gay culture. Tell us about diversity. Tell me about... uh, You do see that I'm just a white kid from Pennsylvania, right? It's the accent. They're confused. They they are confused. (laughs) They think they're getting Julia Sugar Baker. (laughs) (laughs) And they're waiting for me to really make a speech. And I, I said, the thing I think about diversity, and I think the thing that we often get wrong about Mm. diversity, is it's not about taking away seats at the table. It's because that's where people get crazy. You know, it's like, oh, well, if you if if I have to listen to your stories, you can't listen to mine. Mm. That's not what it's about. It's about adding seats to the table. Mm. It's about making sure we take out the leaf and we extend the table so that everybody gets heard. Yeah. And and allowing time for everybody to get heard Mm. when you when you live. And it it goes back to that main quote that life's a banquet. Most people are just starving. Most poor sons of bitches are just starving to death. (laughs) You know, it is saying there's room for more. Mm -hmm. You don't have to feel limited. You don't have to live in a mentality of scarcity. 
that there's only a, a few stories that get told or only a few ways of telling them. Yeah. We have to live in an ever-expanding view of what it is to be human. And that sounds very profound coming out of this movie, but it is really something that I continually think about. And as a gay person, I think of it in how, how I can expand my own vision of who I am as a human being, mm. but how the issues that affect me also affect so many other people around yeah. me, and how that intersectionality is, is profound and real, and, and how we all get something really deep and wonderful out of it. Yeah. So it, it, it sounds very kind of coyly deep, but it really, I really think well, I of think it you're as, describing Auntie Mame. I think yeah, it's coyly no, absolutely. deep. It's just, <laughs> sorry, everybody. You <laughs> thought it was just a movie about outfit changes. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's a treatise on the human spirit. <laughs> <laughs> it is, though, when you think about, um, again, you know, they do this amazing job contrasting. We saw in the clip, Patrick um, is engaged. Well, we learn after that clip, he's Gloria engaged. Upson. Oh, Lord, that woman. Well, I, I won't go there, yeah. but she she kind of represents the worst of white richness. Oh, sure. And and then to contrast that with Mame, yeah. who is everybody in, everybody's yeah. welcome, everybody has a seat at the table. It was such a bold thing to do because in that time period, you know, we were talking earlier about how uh, Alfred Hitchcock's notorious and the use of black and white in that, and then vertigo and the use of color. And so we have the bold use of color, but also it's bold to paint rich white people in this way. Oh, sure. Well, and it's also, for the time, yeah. it is dealing with the one, you know, after, after World War II with this country, it was the first time people were having kind of public conversations about anti-Semitism. Yeah, which comes up in the movie. Which comes up in the movie. Mm -hmm. And it, we weren't ever, we weren't really going to touch on race yet yeah. in this country. Yeah. Certainly not a lot in mainstream films. But anti-Semitism was a, the, the first kind of step where people were talking about prejudice yeah. in a big way mm -hmm. because of the profundity of the Holocaust and, it, and, and the profundity of that, that it had on American, American GIs who saw it yeah. and Americans who, who grew up in the wake of it. So, so yes, it kind of deals with it. She de the Upsons are anti-Semites. Yeah. The and rich, they're rich, stereotypical absolutely. white family. Yeah. And they and don't want the, the there's uh, actually a very... A, Jew, a home for Jewish children, well, orphan that, children. That's what she ends up making it. Yes. But they originally, it was an artist who wanted to move in, wasn't yes. it? A musician. And he was Jewish. And he was Jewish. And they said, no, we're trying to make yeah. sure he doesn't get into this neighborhood. Yeah. And 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 what, what Mame kind of does in that way yeah. is takes the wealth out of it, because Mame has a lot of money. Yeah. It's not necessarily about class, mm -hmm. but it is about a willingness to be open. Yeah. And, and, she, and she's looking at, rather than kind of class in the bourgeois sense, a mentality of bourgeois yeah. that, is, that has to change. The only misstep in the movie that I really want to talk to you about, and Please. you already know what it is. Tell me. Which is um, the Japanese oh, butler. Oh, girl. <laughs> See, here's the thing about America. It's really troublesome. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's I want to celebrate. Oh. I mean, I celebrate so much about this movie, and then I'm like, what oh, were they yeah, thinking? No, I, let, I, was, <laughs> I was home two nights ago watching a Judy Garland musical, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, this is, 
And I'm just sitting there going, God, this is great. This is so good. And then she comes on in blackface. I was like, oh. Oh, what? What? Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. And it is the thing, it is the trouble it of is. American film. Yeah. That just when you they get you, yes. all of a sudden, racism. <laughs> <laughs> just crazy, crazy, profound, <laughs> troubling racism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll just leave that there. I don't know what else yeah. to say about it. <laughs> no, I don't yeah. know what to I mean, I like to think that he's just an effeminate gay man. And that yes. he's there. Yep. <laughs> you know, but also, like, <laughs> this, maybe I'll get in trouble for this, but like, sometimes, you know, sometimes you're just in a, like, people used to get offended at, like, Jack on Will and Grace oh, or things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, but you know girls like that. Yeah. Sometimes, that's okay too. Yeah. There are, people are allowed to be whatever they are. Exactly. Don't, you know, so. I don't know, he's a total racist caricature, but he's also funny. <laughs> he's very sweet to everybody. He he's is, a nice and he person. is beloved. And he's beloved. part of her family. He's part of the family, but yeah. oh, it's troublesome. <laughs> so something that we're all witnessing here tonight is your wonderful sense of humor. Oh my goodness, are you? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for the way that you view the world and how you use that unique viewpoint. Oh in language and in your comedy. And um, I'm going to quote you again. Oh, my goodness. I know. And what, what, this is one of my favorite things that you've said about Auntie Mame. And it's from a video for HuffPost Queer Voices. I want to stay single for a while and have an accountant who pines after me. I want to get married in my 40s and have him die tragically, just yes. so we don't have to get old together. Yes. And then I want to have an affair with a nonsensical person and then just take women into my house, just stray women. That's the life plan. Yeah. All the stages of mame. Yes, yes. just stray women so, that I meet on the street. So the, you seem nice. I've Come seen live them. With yeah, me. so just bring, bring them yeah, in. I do, I do. So we, we've kind of touched upon, and we saw a little bit in the first clip, yes. the sense of humor that Mame has. But sure. like, really, a lot of characters in this movie are so So funny. funny. Some of the best jokes. So Very quick-witted. Very funny. I just wonder how her sense of humor, and even just the dialogue in this movie, how it's yeah. kind of seeped into your brain throughout the years as you've watched it. Well, it's... <clears throat> and I'm not going to ask you to quote any, but I wrote some down just in case. Oh, please, I can't. That's the one thing I can never I'm do. I same. never can quote anything. Yeah. I can tell when people say it wrong, exactly. but well, I can't the, remember it. <laughs> the, when Patrick is a little boy, he asks Mame, is the English lady sick, Auntie Mame? And then she says, she's not English, darling. She's from Pittsburgh. from Pittsburgh. And then Patrick says, she sounded English. And Mame says, well, when you're from Pittsburgh, you have to do something. You have to do something. <laughs> do you know how many times people have quoted that at me? Oh. It's like, when you're from Wilkes-Barre, you had to do something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, uh, I do think of the life plan of Mame to get married in my 40s and have him die. It's a good plan. Uh, and then have a ridiculous, and then house stray women. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I do think of it. Um, I, but yeah, I think the humor, the humor is smart Mm. and quick and witty. Yeah. And I think that that was something else that kind of seeped in early. And it's used to, to illustrate her intelligence, right? Oh, absolutely. Because she often 
undercuts people. Oh. Just by the words that she uses. My favorite line in this movie, everybody lit. <laughs> She's lining all these drinks and she hates everyone in this room. Yes. This is the, the white, rich yes, the stereotypes. Come, yes, they come. And she lights all their drinks and everybody lit. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. <laughs> Literally lights their drinks on fire. Yeah. That's, that's, but yeah. It, was, it, was a, it was a real use of language as yeah. a tool. Yeah. And I think that was the thing that I loved most. Mm. Like, so, <laughs> and, I, and I think it's become part of how I write and, who, and how I speak so much yeah. that uh, sometimes it ha- I'll say something and people will think it's terribly funny and I don't even realize, I didn't mean it the way they've read into it. Yeah. I was just saying, you know. Somebody said to me the other day, someone, their friend had called them crazy, and I said, well, had they, had they been around you? <laughs> and I, I meant it very seriously. Like, was this a hypothesis, or had they seen it in life? Yeah. And he was like, and everybody started laughing, and I was like, no, that's no, a serious really? question. Really? I want it, did he do field research, or were just, you know? No. Right. That reminds me of something that you were saying, which is that, you know, you love to use just beautiful language, the yeah. kind of stuff that leaves you in awe, um, and then not stop for it. This is what you do a lot of times in your writing and in your plays. You just have beautiful things said, and then people just keep going. Oh, sure. Because I don't like, I don't like being precious about it. Yeah. Again, it's that kind of feeling of scarcity. Like, if you're, pre- oh, I just said something so profound. You know, I think, I think mm-hmm. what is so wonderful about this movie is she says great things and moves on from them. She's got things to do. She does. You know, she, <laughs> I have to go. You know, and I, I love that because mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a movie, you know, there are those kind of swelling moments where they have emotion, but it is, it is a movie where they're just moving through things and, mm. and, and the, the mere action or the saying of them is real. I mean, even, and I, I, I think about that all the time, when she says, here, Patrick, write down the words you don't yeah, understand. Yeah. What she's doing in that moment is inviting him into an adult world without judgment. Mm-hmm. She's saying, anything that you hear, don't feel excluded from it. Yeah. I will explain it to you. I will be a conduit from, for you to have information. You yeah. don't have to be afraid of anything. Yeah. And I think that's, that's profound mm-hmm. and deep in the sense that what a wonderful way to invite a child into the world. You don't have to be afraid of anything you hear. I will be here and I will be a conduit for you to learn. Mm, yeah. and, and I will teach you things without judgment. Yeah. That's amazing. It is amazing. And you've just set up the next clip that I want to show, which oh is remarkable. Goodness, I'm it's like so you're glad. in my brain. Um, it, it's just the reality of how that continues for her yeah. with Patrick's own son. So Patrick gets married not to the no. horrible person that we won't name, yeah. um, but to this really wonderful woman who yeah. understands him and loves him for who he is. The third act special. The third act she, special. She's in two scenes <laughs> and he marries her. <laughs> Why not? That's fine. It worked for Mame. Hey, you know what? That's <laughs> fine for me too. But what we see in the in this clip that we're about to watch is um, how Mame is continuing to shape her now grandson's life. Yeah. Um, she also hasn't aged a day. How? No. There's also soft lighting. <laughs> yes. The days of soft, soft lighting. <laughs> 
I mean, you can see the gauze and Vaseline on oh the Oh, my God, sky. you like, can. You really, That's real. It, you yeah, really can't like see RuPaul it. It's like RuPaul season one, right? Like, <laughs> just wash her out. <laughs> and now let's play that scene. <laughs> Please. Auntie Mame? Auntie Mame! What were you doing in there? Just giving Michael his presents, darling. Look, Dad. Which is the front end to me? Oh, my little love here, let me help you. There now. Salam for your mother, like Auntie Mame just taught you. Ah, very good, Saeed. <laughs> That's not a real sword, is it? It's a scimitar. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Belda was a pair carillon. That's what I always say. <laughs> Oh, in Hindustani, that means the water oxen are waiting at the gate. My water ox is waiting at Idlewild. Pan American Flight 100 for Karachi. Oh, Michael, if I could only show you India, the color, the splendor, the mystery, the elephants in the street. Now, every place you Auntie Mae. I know. I shouldn't even bring up the possibility of Michael's going to India with me. But Auntie Mame said she'd love to have me. She said so right in there. Now, it's ridiculous, darling. I won't hear of it. Dad? Now, look. It's completely out of the question. You heard your mother. <laughs> you know what your trouble is, Mom? You don't live, live, live. Life is a banquet, and most poor suckers are starving to death. <laughs> oh, there's one thing you've got to remember. School begins the day after Labor Day. He must be back by then. Naturally. <laughs> of course. Labor Day. That's sometime in November, isn't it? It's the first week in September, Auntie Mame. Our labor, the problem of labor in India is gargantuan. What's gargantuan, Auntie Mame? Oh, Michael, on the plane, I'll give you a pad and pencil, and you can write down all the words you don't understand. Well, now, I've been out shopping all morning for your traveling gear, so let's go upstairs and try things on. <laughs> Michael, I'm going to open doors for you. Doors you never even dreamed existed. I give up. She's the Pied Piper. Oh, what times we're going to have. What vistas we're going to explore together. We'll spend a day at an ancient Hindu temple. The head monk there is a very good friend of Auntie Mae's, and perhaps he'll let you ring the temple bells that bring the monks to prayer. And there on the highest tower, on a clear day, you can see the Taj Mahal. And beyond that is a beautiful... <laughs> it is unbelievable. <laughs> so this amazing writer and journalist, Hugh Ryan, he wrote a beautiful piece oh, about... Oh, I know Hugh. Do you know Hugh? Oh, he's lovely. Oh, did you read smart. his piece about Auntie Mame and the Guardian? Yes. Well, he said this amazing thing, which... Um, he talked about watching it over and over again. He was introduced to do it by his grandmother. Sure. Um, and he said, 
It's not the story that gets me anymore, but that remembered feeling of sudden, wondrous possibility. I just wonder, as you've been watching Anti-Mame throughout your life, how it's changed for you and, and how you've grown together. Um, <clears throat> well, it's, it's, you know, it's changed for me in a few ways. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> it's interesting, because when we were watching the clip, you said, this could be a little problematic. And I think it's true. You know, she comes out in a sorry yeah. and a whole bit. A lot of appropriation. Oh, sure. But but see, that's I don't think it is. Because mm. if you listen to what she's saying, and this isn't a defense, but she's participating in mm. the culture. Mm. She's she's going and learning about it, not just saying, oh, I'm going to wear this. It's she's true. actually learning what it is. Mm. Even he uses the word and says, this is what it is. This is the knife. He uses the correct term yeah. for it. Mm. So it's, it's not, I don't. I think that's the difference sometimes. Mm. If you're exploiting something, you don't care what it is. You're just taking it up. Yeah, it is, it is art of respect. And yeah, she, absolutely. Yeah. And she wants to, him to see it and participate mm. in it. And have his mind open to other absolutely. cultures. Absolutely. And I, I think what, what changes for me as I continue to kind of go back to it, and luckily in uh, Los Angeles, they do a big showing at the Egyptian of it every oh, year yes, that I every go Christmas. to. Yes, yeah. every Christmas. And I go and all these queens wear beads that I wear on. We shake the beads. <laughs> very strange. Uh, but um, I think what continually kind of comes up for me is, again, this question of how do you, how do you stay open? Mm. How do you not get stuck in not allowing other people in your life and mm. not allowing yourself to know about what other people are going through. Because I think that's what Mame is all about. She's constantly inviting people into her life yeah. and constantly wanting to learn about new people. Mm. So for me, not only as a, as a queer person, but as an artist, I think that constant you know, expansion is uh, is the thing that comes back to me over and over again. Mm. And uh, when I go back to it now, I still like the story. I still think it's kind of funny. And, and <clears throat> it has, at some points in my life, it has made me think, oh, well, it is, it is I feel a little bad that I don't have children because of it. Mm. Because there is, there is something wonderful. I think when I watched it as a kid... I wanted Auntie Mame to come pick me up. Yeah, yeah. And take me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, like the Kraken. I was I don't know what, just take me away, you know? In fact, I used to insist, I, I, for, until I was about 12, I used to tell everyone that I was adopted. Oh. Which really was wonderful for my mother, as you can imagine. <laughs> And when they would say, well, who's your mother? And I said, have you ever heard of an actress called Shirley MacLaine? You know? <laughs> yeah, I was convinced that Shirley MacLaine was going to pull up in a Buick one day and just take me off. Um, but yeah, no, now as a gay man in my 30s, I think of how I can not only kind of continue that journey for myself, but also how I can expand that world for somebody else mm. because and this may be too deep but um when i and i i talk about this a lot because it is it's re, it's marked a difference in me when i moved to the city in 1999 it was the tail end of the aids crisis mm. and there were so many people that could have been my mentors, could have been my friends, could have been 
my artistic brothers and sisters that were gone. Mm. And it took probably about a decade and a half for me to either even find out who they were, but to kind of see the continuity of work that was, that was being passed down to me that I hadn't known that I needed to accept mm. and be a part of. Mm. And that had a profound effect on me. It's had, I know it's had a, lo- a huge effect on other artists of my generation because of that. Yeah. So it becomes a moment for me as now as I'm getting older to really consider how am I passing on mm. to younger queer artists? You know, here's who Charles Ludlam was. Mm. Here's who Stephen Spender was. Here's who Christopher Isherwood was. Here's who, you know, the Cockettes were. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hollywood, you know, the names are countless. Yeah. But how do, how do I continually be a conduit for opening doors like Maine does? Mm-hmm. I think about that not only as an artist, but I think about it as, as just a human being. And, and that I, it's very funny to me because I, you know, I wrote these YA novels and I went to a school to talk about them once recently and these the kids that were there uh they were talking to me about how they wanted to keep on top of trends they were very concerned (laughs) about knowing what the trends were so they could keep on top of them and i said well why don't you just invent them like why do you who why are you listening to people Mm. tell you what's trending it's like well well, how would we know if what so you do it Mm. And I, I worry all the time that pe- since we live in a culture where it's constant, everything's kind of pushed at us, yeah. that there's, we're losing room for self-invention. Mm. And I think as I get older, things like MAME and the lesson of self-invention becomes more and more important to say to other people, mm. you don't have to do anything you're told. You just have to be kind and you just have to never stop looking. Mm. And just That's be it. yourself. That's it. That's all you got to do. Mm. That's all you got to do. Just keep going. And, and as you go, get those arms wider and wider. That's all. <laughs> and so that becomes the, profound, the, the new kind of movement that the film gives me now of how am I being a, not only an artist in my own right and having my own life and my own invention, but how am I making sure that other artists feel part of something Mm. and feel connected to all the great people that gave me stuff? Mm. Yeah, that's what I think about. I love that. I'm glad. Mm. Well, I'd I'd love to open up to the room if anybody has questions for Justin. Hi. Oh, thank you for oh, coming. Thank you. I, I'm not as as. Oh, there's a microphone oh, there. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not an expert about the movie as the two of you are, but when you mentioned the uh, the writer who wrote it, the uh, the gay man, yeah, um, does he have a history of doing similar things? And also, were there other um, mm. other editions of <gasps> Anti Mame that Patrick Dennis, yeah, yeah. that so, also carried that same theme, or did they drift off? In other words? He had a fascinating life, and there's a great book about him because he, he went through, he ended up being a butler in somebody's, it was very strange. But uh, he wrote a second book called Mame Around the World, which was kind of followed her tra- travels all around. And then he wrote a book called Little Me, which was a fake 
kind of autobiography of a movie star that was turned into a musical by, uh, I think, Neil Simon wrote the book for it, and it starred Sid Caesar on Broadway. Mm. So, um, yeah, he wrote a few more books, uh, and I think they kind of had that more that camp sensibility, not necessarily this kind of expansion, but... Uh, yeah, he wrote a he definitely wrote a sequel to Mame and and some other books that were kind mm. of in the same campy outrageous mm. style certainly. And do you think the other versions of Mame kind of hold this amount of depth that, that is in this one? Well, you know they're remaking it. They are. With Tilda Swinton. Whoa. Who I think would I think Tilda will <laughs> I don't know. The gay gasp heard round the world. <laughs> I think the thing is that she scares me. And but maybe you know what? Rosalind Russell doesn't scare me. Rosalind, yes, but maybe she maybe should. She should. <laughs> maybe she should. Um, they're remaking it with Tilda Swinton. I'm, I, I, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I love, uh, you know, Jerry Herman wrote the musical with Angela Lansbury mm. on Broadway, and mm-hmm. then they did the version with Lucy, which was just not great. No. Not great. Yeah. Um, because mm. Lucy was... I love Lucy, but she even said it's very hard. Mm. Lucy had the tough, you know, it's, this is a tangent. But (laughs) Lucy had the very tough thing of being a first woman to have not only the career she had as a comedian, but the longevity. Yeah, to age on television. Absolutely. And and she even said, you know, when she was doing that last series, how hard it is Mm. to look silly when you're somebody's grandmother. Yeah. When you've had that much responsibility under your belt to be like, mm-hmm. oh, the suds are attacking us, you know? <laughs> it's very hard. And I think she was mm. figuring out what that new identity was on Mame, and I don't know that it worked. Mm. But, yeah. oh, go ahead. Do I pick or do you pick? You all can pick. Uh, did you have any women in your life when you were a child who was like an anti-Mame for you that really opened up your world? Uh, sure. Yeah, I think so. Um, I was, uh, my grandmother who, my father's mother was very, uh, (laughs) very funny and, and sly like that, but usually sly like that in a, in a slightly meaner way. (laughs) You know, she was a great, she had great digs. You'd come down and she'd go, you're going to wear that out. (laughs) You know, and you you heard that little ellipsis. Yeah. And you were like, oh, I guess not. I guess I have to reconsider my whole life. Uh, But um, so, yeah, she was she was certainly somebody that opened a lot to me. Mm -hmm. I think Katie Kate Kerrigan's grandmother was somebody as well. Mm -hmm. Your neighbor. My neighbor. And and, um, you know, I was I was really lucky in the fact that uh, my parents not being literature people, not being readers, uh, were very, just kind of let me go mm-hmm. and let me do whatever I wanted to be, in, whatever I wanted to be interested in, I was able to be interested in. Mm-hmm. So that let me, you know, I was reading books by Toni Morrison in middle school because that's where my interest went. And nobody was there to kind of stop anything. Mm-hmm. And I think in that way, that kind of, even though they were not influencing that so much, their hands-offness kind of let me explore, and that was kind of lovely as well. And I I think I had really great teachers 
who who were who saw that I how curious I was and said, "Oh, here, go off in this direction," you know, and 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 were encouraging. I think that's that was something that was really very beneficial for me. So, else? anybody else? Hi, darling. <laughs> Just really quickly. So, sure. how many times have each of you seen Auntie Mame oh in its entirety? Well, in have... its entirety? Oh, yeah. That is actually a really good question because I confess that I grew up watching this movie with my father, sure. but I realize in watching this now to get ready to talk to you that I've never actually finished it because I had always fallen asleep <laughs> at the same point. What point was that? Before she um, g- goes and gets married. Oh, so I that's early on. I know. So I <laughs> never Jeff knew. It changes after that. Yeah, so technically it's the first time for me. Because oh every my. other time I apparently never actually watched it. Yeah. <laughs> she did have several the, more actors. Yeah, the, the number's quite higher for me. <laughs> um, I, I certainly go and see it every Christmas with some friends. Yeah. So every year I do that. Um, but I, it's also something that... I watch as a comfort thing sometimes mm. when you kind of, I, I was having a conversation with a friend today and we were kind of talking about there, there is this moment right now culturally I think where a lot of people feel so out of step with everything mm. and you feel as though either you're not, you're not invited into the world or the world doesn't care about what you have to say. Mm. And... I think a lot of people are feeling that pro- very profoundly, and I feel it quite a bit because I, you know, as I said to my dad, I wanted to be a beatnik. I wanted to, you know, like I got a book. There's a new book out called Ninth Street Women mm-hmm. about all these female painters of the, of the abstract expressionist movement. It arrived at my house, and I squealed. <laughs> I was so. <gasps> I was so ha- I stayed in the house for three days and read it cover to cover. I was so excited about it. Now that's not who cares about that in the world, but yeah, I do. do. And there's not a place there there isn't a place where that kind of you're even allowed to kind of feel that way. Mm. So I think sometimes I watch it and have watched it because I just want to I want a little encouragement that you're right to be different. You're right to be concerned about the things you want. Don't mm. keep going. It's kind of, you know, sometimes you have those moments where you're like, nobody gets it. I'm, you know, I'm a Luddite and I just want to read Elizabeth Barrett Browning and go to bed. <laughs> but I'll watch Annie Mame and be like, all right, put on the jewelry and start again. <laughs> Madam. <laughs> I love that. Any other questions? Hello. Hello. If you, just quickly, if you want children to lead astray, I have two, and I will happily <laughs> give them to you. She I'm wants you to teach them how to make drinks. Yeah. I'm yeah. strangely great with them. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't I just, find that strange at all. I talk to them like people. I'm like, yeah. how was your day today? Funny, yes. funny how they respond to that, but they you'll, have, really you'll have to come to New Zealand to do it. But I, this oh, is an official fine. invitation. <laughs> I'm wondering if there's any other films or television or books or things that came close to this movie for you to act as kind of recommended mm. reading or viewing for us from here. did pick another one that we ended up not going with. What was it? Do you remember? Grey Gardens. Oh, Grey Gardens. Yeah. I, wa- 
Yeah. Yeah. That Grey Garden's a wake up call. That's why I was like, I Mame, don't know. Mame is an encouraging. Yes. Grey Garden's is like, girl. <laughs> you better clean this apartment. Yes. Because things are happening. Yeah. And I wanted, I wanted hope. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, Greg. <laughs> um, I think you know if we're talking about. If we're talking about books, I think two books that had a profound effect on me and still do uh, are The Bluest Eye. I probably mm. read that every couple of years mm. because it was the first book, Toni Morrison, uh, where she puts you in the mind of somebody horrible. Mm. And she does it in such a way that you understand why they're horrible. And even as a young person, I thought, wow, that instead of kind of like, oh, look how fun it is to be mean or evil, it is such a moment of understanding profound compassion because you understand that nobody wants to be evil, really, but they make decisions mm. that are evil and how good pe how you can be in somebody's heart and understand why they did the horrible things they did not forgive them but at least understand them and that was something that i think is is expansive and and why i go back to that book and the other one i would probably say um i go back to quite a bit is uh their eyes were watching god oh beautiful book yeah. um zora neale hurston yeah and i think it's it's Again, a book about self-invention yeah. and a book mm. about, you know, in a, in a totally different set of circumstances than name, how someone carves out a life that is truthful to them. And I think those, those two books in, in concert with each other were so deep for me. And, and not to not to say like oh well I get the plight of you know being a black woman in 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 Florida in the 1930s mm -hmm. because that is not my experience <laughs> but mm -hmm. reading it at a young age it was I understood what it was like to not have options mm. and be and and especially as it as feeling kind of like an isolated gay kid in a small town and being told you know this is your world seeing that you could invent something for yourself mm. was was really deeply important and i think another movie which i actually thought about bringing up was this little no movie that nobody really remembers called madame suzatska oh no i don't know this and it's a movie with Shirley MacLaine. Well, okay, now we understand. It has Shirley to be Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine <laughs> plays a classical music a piano teacher. Uh -huh. And she, t she takes this new student who's a young Indian boy and his mother. And he's very brilliant, but she's kind of this complicated artist. Mm. And uh, she lives in an apartment building with a gay man who's a masseuse and a little old lady played by Dame Peggy Ashcroft. <laughs> and it was it's about the struggle to make art but it's also about I think watching it at that time it was about the it was about authenticity hmm. and I think the, the one thing that in all the conversation if we've left anything out I think that's the thing 
that I most likely want to say last is that anti means about authenticity. Yes, it kind of all seems over the top, but that's just because that's where she lives. You know, she lives big. It's not putting on anything. It's the thing that, this is another tangent, and then I'll finish, I swear to God. <laughs> but it's the thing that always gets me, because people say to me, you know, oh, you remind me of Auntie Mae, or it happens. Mm -hmm. I'm not bragging about it, but it actually happens in my life. <laughs> and what they think that is, and what I know that is, are two different things. Because mm. they think it's big gestures mm. and bracelets and wit. And I know that it's exuberance and joy and wanting to share that with mm -hmm. people. And bold authenticity. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. it, one is putting on something to kind of fit a role, and the other one is exuding something to be a bigger part of the world. And I think that's the grave difference. So it's, it's especially telling when other gay men come up to me, and, oh, I'm just like Annie Mae myself. I'm like, girl, you're not. <laughs> I see that coming, <laughs> and I know, <laughs> you know, yeah. But I, I yeah, it's those are I. I would give you those three if I and <laughs> Greg Garden. <laughs> let's not go to Greg Garden. No, let's please. not. Though I have I have pictures of little Edie Beale in every room of my house. Oh my lord! And and I have them there as a stark warning. <laughs> Because I don't even, I won't ever live with my mother, so it'll just be me and the cats, and how horrible that'll be. <laughs> well, thank you all for coming tonight. Thank you so much. And thank much. you to Justin. Thank you. Thank you so much for having thank me. Thank you. Wasn't she wonderful, everybody? <laughs>